Welcome to our second quarter update. Got Dave and Josh. We are excited to go through the residential component of our business here at Greenleaf. We're going to touch a little bit on what we're seeing in the market overall and then go through kind of the trends that we're seeing in our portfolio. And again, we're based out of Atlanta here, so it's only really in the Southeast. And if there's other property, very specific things, we're going to cover that in our investment reports uh, that are going out on the 20th today as well. So let's talk about rent growth first. That's one that's uh, people are always interested to see what is that looking like in our portfolio and kind of what's the national trend on rent growth. Yeah, so our, you know, our portfolio is doing pretty well. Quarter over quarter, we're seeing rent growth at 2.7%. And year, compared to a year ago, it's up 7%. That's down a bit from prior years and prior quarters, but still very, very strong. Yeah, it's one of our first quarters where we had year over year rent growth that was below 10%. A lot of the times we've been seeing double digit rent growth. When we look at second quarter of 2023 to the second quarter of 2022, kind of take that process and, and back that through the quarters. And we were typically seeing double digit rent growth and now we're in the high single digits. So we're seeing that come down and that kind of falls into what the national trends have been as well. Right. Yeah. Nationally, um, they, you know, this is probably, I think the first time in many years they've seen a, a slight downtick, a half percent downtick, uh, your, your rent growth. Um, then it's crazy. We were looking at the, um, what the, the median rent is across the country is up to $2,000 a month. It's incredible. It's yeah. And we're, we're getting this from rent.com. It's one of the places that we, uh, we look for a lot of our rental rate information and it gives a good picture of like the country as a whole, which isn't, you know, isn't super relevant for our specific deals, but it is to give us an idea of just where do we stack up? Where do we stand in the, in the grand scheme of things? And yeah, $2,000 a month in rent is a lot. Yeah. I mean, our average unit's running for 1100. If yeah. that, you know, a lot of our properties like a park Hill is still barely a thousand. Yeah. So our rents are, yeah, significantly lower than that. And even Atlanta though, when we, we look at, uh, the rent figures, it talks about Atlanta as a whole, and Atlanta's over $2,000 a month mm-hmm. for rent. So it's still, I don't know if that counts as an affordable city, right. but it's, you know, it's not 4000 a month, right. like some of the much more expensive cities. So Atlanta's still a fairly good deal overall, but, um, but yeah, our market rents for our assets and our portfolio are significantly lower than you know, the national average and then just the average within Atlanta as well. Yeah. And so nationally, we saw like a little bit of a rent decrease, but right. still up year over year. So, all right, so value-wise, that's another rent growth kind of ties right into values because you're taking rent growth and applying that into your purchasing models to then say, okay, what am I going to pay for something? And that's really going to impact what your values are uh, and where you're at. Yeah, so we, you know, we, we took a look at uh, you know, the big public REITs to kind of see where values have been trending this year. This year, they're slightly up. Um, yeah, the big apartment REITs. Like right. Equity residential is up for the year. Avalon Bay is up for the year. And these are tens of billions of dollars right. of assets. So <laughs> fairly large national footprint compared to you know, where our portfolio is at. But yeah, they're all up for the year. Right. right. And then you go down to kind of the micro level. And we're mostly seeing you know, Class C deals you know, in terms of how we're valuing them. And we're, you know, we're selling two right now. And we're, we're mostly seeing them trade around a five and a half cap rate. You know, if you if you rewind a couple of years ago, maybe those were trading closer to a four cap rate in the past. But um, you know, five and a half cap rate is still very strong when the when you're borrowing at closer to six percent, you're still able to basically sell 
into yeah. negative leverage, it's it's pretty it's pretty great from a valuation standpoint. It's holding strong. Yeah, another reason for that prior what we're seeing is you know, there's certainly still a lot of demand for multifamily product right now. And and one of the reports from Avis and Young, who we use on a lot of our leasing on the commercial side, we don't use them as much on the residential side, but we use them a lot on the commercial side. Um, their kind of end of quarter assessment of the market talked about how, how much dry powder is out there for multifamily. And it's still, I mean, we haven't bought a deal in a while now, so, but there's always demand. Right now, we're still seeing a lot of demand. I wouldn't say always, but there's demand for multifamily. And right now, it's showing that there's still a lot of pent-up capital that's available to be deployed into it. That's probably helping keep values up from where they currently are. Absolutely. So that's kind of our you know, assessment of what the market looks like and how our numbers play into that. And in our specific portfolio, again, we're here in Atlanta, basically up and down 85 and 75 uh, north of Atlanta. But overall performance, all of our apartment deals are paying out and making their distributions. Most of our investments were for cash flow. We have a few deals that are either in opportunity zones or we have one real renovation project going on right now where we are uh, renovating units every quarter on a townhome deal because we're seeing four, almost $450 rental rate increases now. Yeah, and some of our longer our longer held properties, you know, it's going to be a discussion with property specific as we continue to hold these assets that, you know, over a five, seven, 10 year hold with the rental increases that we're seeing, there's a big opportunity to go in and renovate again and get even bigger bumps like we're doing on Kingstown. Yeah, and that, and that asset, we're going up to about 1400 in rent from 1000 right. or 900 when the market is still even in that neighborhood. I mean, that's right in town, Atlanta. Uh, it's a pricier neighborhood. Mm. Rents are even much higher than that. So arguably it's like there's a lot of rent growth opportunity right. there on some of these older deals that we own, but you've got to go spend the money to go do that. And in that deal specifically, we're, you know, we're, we're doing unit turns with cash flow, which I think is a conservative way to do it as opposed to adding in additional equity or taking out more bank debt. We're using the money we earn to reinvest into the property. Yeah, and, and it's helping us with our con really conservative nature when it comes to debt um, through this market cycle with, you know, our average leverage in the 40s. Yeah, we're, about, we're in the mid-40s percent loan to value of our current uh, multifamily assets. Right, so it, when you're looking at your cover page, if you go to the very bottom, it shows the debt terms. And on the debt terms, it'll show you the interest rate. It shows you the when that when that loan matures or it comes due. But also show you the debt coverage ratio, which is actually yeah. the most important part. And debt, you know, from a debt coverage yeah. standpoint, it's really our net income or cash flow produced over the cost of the debt. And for the most part, we're the lenders require a one point three or thirty percent more cash flow than the cost of the debt. And we're generally seeing that we are our properties across the board are well over two times the cost of our debt on a, from a cash flow level. Uh, yeah, that keeps us in what we feel is a good position. It's you know our strategy on how we're doing this stuff. So we look at you know our financial performance. We are making distributions on the deals that are in our portfolio, so they're all all cash flow positive, all performing. Um, from a revenue standpoint, we mentioned our overall revenue was up two point seven percent. You know, seven percent. This quarter over the prior year quarter, our expenses in that same time frame were up about two percent year over year for the quarter. So, second quarter 2022 to second quarter 2023, our expenses are up about two percent, which we feel very good about that. Right, the 
the revenue growth number, revenue is higher number than the expenses. So our operating margin expands. Uh, even if revenue and expense growth is the same percentage-wise, operating margins expand. And, and we're seeing revenue growth that's still outpacing expense growth. So operating margins are in a good position. So that's very positive. And the main way we, we have been able to do that is really by focusing on two aspects. The maintenance side of things, where we are performing a good amount of our work or larger projects in-house. We just did a road grading with one of our gravel access roads and curbing. It probably saved us about $40,000 on a deal that we were able to do that in-house, uh, perform that with our own equipment, our own guys. Uh, that helps significantly. The other part is just focusing on retention. You know, we have a, we've been doing that for years. Yeah, I mean, the highest cost of operating these properties is turnover when it comes to not only the downtime of having to renovate that unit and release that unit, which is generally speaking 45 to 60 days, um, but also the cost of that turnover, which used to cost maybe $1,000, $1,500, and that was upwards of $5,000 for a turnover um, just to really you know, turn the unit and get a new tenant in there when you talk about yeah. flooring, painting, appliances. Yeah, the cost of all the turnover has gone up significantly. But we've been able to maintain kind of our expense structure only increasing 2% year over year uh, through doing a lot of this work in-house. And that's, and that's helped our operating margins overall. It enables us to make uh, better distributions and the overall health of the properties that we own. But it's interesting that you're talking about the time to lease a unit. So if we look at our tenancy mix right now, and we can pull a rent roll from the second quarter of 2022 or really any point and look at a rent roll now, and it's going to show a pretty consistent vacancy number. Uh, but hidden within those details is a different story, and that's where we're seeing it's taking longer to lease. And we mentioned this last quarter as well, that we're seeing essentially our vacancy loss increase. The rent rolls show the same numbers. We're still in the high 90% occupancy. With longer time to lease, we have more days that are vacant. We have higher uh, loss on vacancy. when We look at stuff on a quarterly basis. So we're seeing that uh, increase. And it's really coming down to like, what are we doing on a tenancy standpoint? So this started probably 2020 when we really got into even more stringent screening above and beyond what we do with our normal property management uh, tenant screening portal. So now we're using rent screening. And it's helping us identify a lot of fraudulent W-2s, fraudulent bank statements. We're seeing a significant amount of that kind of activity that if you're actively leasing uh, and you're not really verifying the true nature of where the tenant information is coming from, you can still get into some tricky situations. So our underwriting process has uh, grown substantially as we're looking at tenants, but we're going through hundreds of tenants that are coming in, not just, hey, we've got three applicants and we need to pick one. That's what it probably was a while, you know, back in the day, if you want to call it that. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a much lengthier process, so it's taking a longer time to lease. Um, and then we're also seeing a lot of just um, applications Creativity, I would say, with financials. That's called a proved shield. It's worked really well for us, and we're happy with that platform. It certainly helped. So that's our kind of standpoint on tenancy. We're still seeing a lot of uh, delays and evictions. That, you know, pandemic ended a while ago. Uh, evictions are still taking a huge amount of time. We have our, our winter right now is about 16 months that they haven't paid rent for. And 
We never had anything like that prior to the pandemic. No. Once, once COVID hit, that has been a consistent theme is that you are able to drag out um, a non-payment situation or, or work through the court system. And it can take an exceptionally long time uh, to remove someone who has stopped paying. And, and we're seeing that much more in specific property in specific areas versus universally across all properties. That, um, and, and we're working more, that's, you know, the approved shield and the more diligence is, is being put in the areas that ne needs it and less so in, o in other areas. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're using approved shield everywhere, but it, it definitely comes into play a lot more in specific mm -hmm. areas that we have stuff. Those are also areas where, you know, assessing the investments that we have of how do we, because we are an owner operator, so we're in the weeds on all of these things as we look at, um, look at a property. So we're constantly looking at like, how is this property operating versus another property? And that leads a lot into our decisions to hold a deal or to sell a deal uh, based on how we can operate it. Now, someone else might be able to operate things better or differently or with a different angle and it works for them. Um, we're just going off what, uh, what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. so, okay, one other thing. We talked some last quarter too about insurance. This, is kind of, this has been an uh, ever-present <laughs> conversation where we're always looking at kind of what our insurance rates are doing. And insurance rates, I don't think anyone has been immune to it, but they have increased dramatically over the past year. This year, we saw about a 30% increase in our insurance rates. We're up over 75% since 2020. So these are some big bumps that we're seeing. If you look at the insurance market as a whole, uh, you know, there's groups all over the place, but there's, there's been news of people pulling out of California, some groups pulling out of... Uh, Florida as well. So you, you have some issues going on in the insurance markets that are, are kind of changing what's being covered and certainly uh, the premiums. And I think we face a lot more risk. Insurance companies are putting a lot more risk onto the owners as well right now. And, you know, when, when you're looking at those, you know, like a Florida that, you know, obviously has the hurricanes that go through occasionally and take the more dramatic losses, you know, we have to be really conscious of the pools of insurance that we're being put into because Atlanta, for the most part, has fairly mild weather, has fairly mild, you know, weather losses compared to our, a hurricane state like Florida. So um, if we get mixed in a pool with, you know, a, a Floridian pool, um, it, could be, it could be dangerous uh, if, if a hurricane comes through and we no longer has, have any insurance money for our properties. Yeah, that and, and the premiums of that, that pool mm -hmm. are increasing based on that. Right. Right, so we're... We're not insurance experts, but that's kind of what we're seeing is we look at the different groups that we are covered with and our premiums will go up because of the nature of what their business is exposed to. So they have to try and use their underwriting model to operate at a profit. You want your insurance company to be profitable. You don't want them to be negative. Uh, that wouldn't be good. So you want them to be, you know, profitable, but at the same standpoint, that's causing our premiums to go up dramatically. The other side is uh, the risk that's kind of being pushed off onto us. We have one of our multifamily deals where our lender, which is, which is Fannie Mae, mostly all of our stuff is Fannie Mae, is requiring a certain level of basically business interruption and loss on, on income. And we cannot find an insurance provider that will provide the number that they're looking for. So we are going to have lender placed insurance on that piece of it. I don't even, I'm not sure where they're going to get it or how that's going to work, but we could not find a single insurance company in like a four-month period to provide that insurance. And 
so that's one where our premiums went up and we got less coverage and now we're gonna have to have some kind of lender uh, insurance in there. So our insurance premiums are gonna be even higher there, you know, overall. We also look at stuff that's not being covered. The list of exclusions has been, has been growing along with the premiums. So we're paying more, we're getting, we're getting less coverage overall. One of the big things that has recently started to happen is carving out a lot of uh, issues around violence or gun activity. So those are becoming much harder to underwrite, if not impossible, to get insurance that covers any of that kind of activity. So properties that are in areas that have that are, are going to one, probably not be covered and also see much higher premiums, way more than 30% increases. Right. Uh, you know, some of the insurance groups we've talked to, like, oh, you should be happy with 30%. It's like, okay. Because <laughs> um, a lot of them have been significantly uh, higher than that. One other component they're doing is, is adding in a lot more maintenance requests. So when an insurance company comes out to underwrite the deal, they're now coming up with more and more maintenance items that they would like to see covered, which is fine. It's kind of, we kind of welcome that. We're, we're always ready to improve things and make sure we're doing things correctly. So they come get another set of eyes on it. So they're asking for repairs. And, and then also as an operator, we've got to take it into our account and make sure we're doing stuff to keep our property safe. Ultimately, any claims we have increases our rates in the future. So we've stepped up having a lot more security presence on properties, which is really a contracted engagement. We're not having our team members function as the security. So we're contracting with security companies and this year, really, we're ramping up our integration of security cameras and video access and control door access, uh, just to help with that stuff. Every little bit helps as you're kind of looking at what your insurance policy is covering. Um, so we're always trying to find, like, hey, what can we do that helps bring that down a little bit? It's just like at your home, if you have a home security system, it decreases yeah, it a little your, bit. Uh, your premium a little bit. We got to do the same thing on all of our uh, multifamily assets and find those little opportunities uh, to improve our margins. Okay, so that's insurance. Let's talk about just overall opportunities that we're seeing in the market right now. It's like playing, playing offense in a defensive market, right? Yeah. So, you know, really what we're, we're primarily focused on, we're owner-operators. Um, it's really where can we make a difference uniquely on our assets that maybe are being overlooked by third-party operators or people that really are more hands-off for their operations. So we talked about... Um, know driving retention earlier that's very much a part of the culture of our company is to retain our residents and even if it's at yeah. less of a rental increase um you know we, we want to keep our residents in place yeah i think that that corporate value of making sure we're focused on retention that really drives our cost structure drives kind of the sanity of our team <laughs> high turnover situations are always stressful um so it, it's an important factor to, to really maintain the operations of, a, of an asset we think about uh how well you know operators are focused on that kind of stuff will do versus more a more passive approach and we do see that there's going to be cost increases across the board i mean that's you know self-operating can help with some of those smaller costs but the macro level trend of higher insurance and higher taxes is very much happening and all that stuff is really going to get rolled up and pushed through and that's going to further drive rental rate increases, or at least the attempt to collect more mm -hmm. from, from tenants. And, and that could cause some con unit consolidation. We originally started seeing unit de what do you want to call it? De expansion. Unit expansion. <laughs> In like the 2012 timeframe where you had multiple generation families moving apart, they may go back together um, in homes now with, with 
cost being that much higher from a rental rate standpoint, and that'll help. You know, those those are kind of opposite forces right there, where people are going to try and push through some of these costs, but then tenants might be able to uh, consolidate to save some money. Right. So, um, other part, you know, we've we've talked about debt a lot, and right now, you know, the debt markets are certainly with kind of a lack of liquidity. So there's not a whole ton of lending that's out there right now. I mean, it's still active deals are still happening, uh, but it's going to be that situation where when renewals are coming up on a loan, they're probably not going to be able to get the leverage they want unless they have some room to wiggle with their loan to value. Uh, there could be some loans that, uh, that don't work out. We've, you know, we've talked about some that happened. Uh, owner operators had to give some stuff back. Yeah, I think we're, we're likely to see more of that in the, next, in the coming three to six months as the guys who put on three-year interest-only um, floating rate loans uh, start being called due and values just aren't there to support it. And that's even, it, it, it's an opportunity, but it's not, even, it's not really an opportunity for us. Those, those things are still, you look at an apartment deal where it's 300000 a unit and maybe it trades at two sixty. it's like, <laughs> that's still way out of our price range of anything we're looking to do, but there could be some opportunities there in that. We, you know, we need stuff come down more. We're, we don't, we're not playing in those kind of territories with the higher end rents. So, and the affordable or the class C space or something where you're seeing like our, our price is going to come under a hundred thousand a unit. You know, that was a big milestone when they passed that and that's hasn't really happened not yet. at all. Um, there's too much activity for that to happen right now. So yeah. we don't really see that as a, as a opportunity yet, but we could, we're looking at that, keeping an eye on it. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, thanks for tuning in. We are going to have a live stream on Monday, the 31st. Wondering why we're doing it on a Monday. We have Camp Greenleaf all of next week. So we're volunteering. We run a free summer camp for a couple days up in Gainesville, Georgia. If you want to volunteer for that or help out. Yeah, if you're in the, if you're in the area, we'd love to have you come by. Bring, you know, bring your spouse, bring your family, and um, it's, it's a lot of fun for the week. Yeah, so we're doing that next week. We have a live stream. We'll help answer any property-specific questions. We can really dig into the details uh, of any of our operating assets at that time for the for the residential segment. And uh, yeah, that is it. Look for distributions. They're going out today as well. Thank you, guys. Yeah. For more tips on operating and investing in real estate, please check us out at greenleafmanagement.com or find us on YouTube and Spotify.